It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat. We have plenty to get to today, plenty to get to all summer long, as the Pittsburgh Penguins will have about six months between now and their next actual regular season game. But of course, According to FSG, the general manager search is underway. There have been plenty of names thrown out there. We'll discuss that a little bit in this episode. We'll give our Stanley Cup final predictions on this episode. But before we get into all of that, I do want to let everybody know that we plan on doing a Pittsburgh Penguins mailbag either on Thursday or next Tuesday. So if you want your questions answered, drop them in the comments below on YouTube at Inside the Penguins. Or you can tweet us at Iceberg Podcast on Twitter using hashtag Pens Mailbag, and you might just get your question answered on our next episode or next Tuesday if we don't have enough questions by Thursday to pull back the curtain. That's why we're a little up in the air on when it's going to be. But if we have enough questions, we'll do it Thursday. And if we have so many questions, we'll do it on both days. But Horwat, let's get into obviously what's going to be the biggest story surrounding the Pittsburgh Penguins for the next three to four weeks, which is the general manager search. You were there on Friday. FSG was there. Kevin Acklin was there having that little sit-down discussion about what's next for the future of the Pittsburgh Penguins. It seems like they're going to cast a wide net. All reports are leaning to the fact that they're going to cast a wide net. What were your takeaways from that press conference? Um... There wasn't too many. It was a very business-oriented press conference. I mean, I don't know what else we expected. Very much, uh, this is a sad day for the organization uh, because, you know, we're missing the playoffs. We had to fire a couple of guys. Uh, But also, it's a positive day for for the organization as we are going to now step into a different direction, into a new generation, if you will. Um, There was not much to pull from what was said. It was also, uh, man, it feels like forever ago, honestly. It was just a couple of days uh, that being said, though, um, yeah, they're going to cast a huge net. Uh, it's good to see that Fenway... There was no negatives to pull either, by the way. Kevin Beeson of no. uh, Fenway Sports was um, very upbeat and very positive about the state of the team and where he thinks uh, this team can go. Their commitment to the core, by the way, which I thought was huge. There, There's, there's my one big takeaway to start. Um, they're still committed to keeping Crosby, Malkin, and Latang around. 
So no matter what direction they go in with the GM search, they're going to have to have the same uh, ideals with that. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a wide net. I don't. They didn't discuss too much about uh, the direction of how analytical they want to go. I know that's kind of been discussed that they want to take it in a more analytical direction. Uh, but uh, everyone believes that was going to happen regardless of uh, Hextall being fired or not. So, mm-hmm. yeah, expect a ton of names to be thrown out over the next couple of weeks. Um, I expect this one to last a little longer than the last one did. The last one was only two weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was midseason. The options were also very slim because you had to pick from guys who weren't committed, who you know weren't committed to the team they were either currently on or didn't have a team. You're heading into the offseason where, well, people don't have that same commitment. So expect it to be a little longer. Expect the more names to fly out um, and keep eyes on a lot of analytical people, but also names that have not been general managers before. I think that is the other lean that FSG is going for. Sorry to all the Kyle Dubas fans, me included. Yeah, Kyle Dubas seems to be the only person in that specific range there. But, I mean, he he's a name that obviously took Twitter by mm-hmm. storm, took Pittsburgh social media by storm. And it, it's obvious as to why, because the first thing you heard from anybody realistically was, oh, they're going to take an analytical approach. Who's the guy on the last year of a contract on a team that if they don't succeed this year could be out of a job that is Mr. Analytical Approach among actual general managers right now? It's Kyle Dubas. So, yes, conclusions were drawn, but there's a chance that they might not even you know interview him. But from what you've said and from what I've heard, it seems as if they're going to be interviewing or asking to interview a lot of potential candidates in the lead up to hiring their next general manager. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if Dubas was among those names anyway. Um, I forget who had the tweet. I think it was Mike Stevens, Mark Stevens. I forget the name specifically um, said that he wouldn't be surprised to see uh, FSG put on like a full court press form. And you know what? That's good. I like that idea too. Uh, because, like you mentioned, he has that analytical approach. Yes. What I also like about Dubas, as I said this on our bonus episode last week, is that he also understands uh, keeping cores together. He's the one that said we can and we will sign all three of their then young players of Marner, Nylander, and uh, Matthews. And then not only that, he decided to then add John Tavares and keep Morgan Riley around. So he has got a core of five. It's a little harder to deal with, whereas the Penguins have a core of three main guys. They're all aging, but he understand what it, understands what it means to maintain your your stars hmm. and build around them. So analytically, so he's, I mean, honestly, he'd be perfect for this job. Like, if it's realistic, it's hard to say, uh, but he is probably the perfect name. And whenever you Go backwards from there. You'll probably find your, uh, probably find your next GM. Yeah, when it comes to just the liberties of making moves, I think we're gonna find somebody in between the last two because Jim Rutherford was very liberal with the way that he was going to make his trades. He was not gonna sit on his hands if there was something wrong. He was gonna make a move to try to fix it. Ron Hextall was the entire other side of that spectrum where he was waiting. He was calculated he was gonna sit there and gonna take all the information in and then take it in even more and then he was gonna make his move I think you're gonna find somebody in between 
for this one because those two guys are at both severe ends of the spectrum. So that's something I expect as well. When you look at the official reports, there really haven't been any because let's be honest, this general manager search is four days old, right? It's the information gathering stage of this. You're not going to get very many actual official reports, mainly people saying, I could think they'd be interested in him. That's a potential candidate. That's where we're at right now. And 15 to 20 to 25 names have already been thrown out from various outlets, various reporters. Uh, Rob Rossi has a great piece out on The Athletic. He names 10 potential fits that would make sense with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Darren Drager echoed my sentiment on Friday about Jason Carmanos being a potential fit because his history with the organization. We just talked about Kyle Dubas. And then 32 thoughts on Sunday, right in there, NHL playoff preview. Right before that, they talked about the Pittsburgh Penguins for about 10 minutes. And they mentioned that the Penguins might ask the NHL to speak with Stan Bowman about becoming the next general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Potential candidate Stan Bowman, because they have a history between Bowman and Mike Sullivan. I say it's a hard pass for several reasons when it comes to the actual job and several reasons when it comes to not the actual job. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know, Stan Bowman was the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks in 2010 when the Kyle Beach issues happened. Not somebody that I would think would be the right hire for the Penguins because of that off-the-ice issues and because of the on-the-ice issues. Because let's remember, the reason the Chicago Blackhawks have been bad since 2015 were because Stan Bowman couldn't let well enough alone. And I understand we brought the band back together with the Pittsburgh Penguins last season, but they brought three guys back. Don't bring Stan Bowman back because I don't want, you know, Tom Kunockle. Where's he at? Uh, Where's Scotty Wilson? Can we bring him back? Like, can Chris Kunitz come out of retirement? Like, let's... Let's not go after Stan Bowman for a multitude of reasons because the off the ice stuff is enough for me to say, you know what? No, but the on the ice stuff is also at a point where I'm saying, no, Stan Bowman, it doesn't make sense to me. There's so many other better candidates this year as well. So they need to avoid Stan Bowman. You mentioned the on the ice stuff and the off the ice stuff. Also to go along with the off the ice stuff, uh, the Penguins are not totally free from a similar, not similar, but aren't totally free from their own sort of accusations that uh, Stan Bowman would not help the cause. Putting that one out there now. So they need to avoid Stan Bowman like the plague, really, uh, just to get that one out of the way. Um, and then you echoed everything that I would have said. Off off the ice, those are the reasons. And then on the ice, he built a not good team. Let's... I mean, he built great teams in 2010 to 2015, but then, like Jim Rutherford, it got old. Wasn't he not even the guy for those teams? Or like at least one or two of them? I would have to double check. I'll double I would check have that to, right I, Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but I could swear he wasn't the guy for at least the first one. Um, but one thing that I also found very interesting uh, that, they, that they discussed on 32 Thoughts was the idea of them going with a non-hockey name as well. I thought that was very interesting. And Jeff Greenberg, who I believe worked in baseball, and but, you know, is close with Fenway Sports Group, and that's kind of where the connection drew from. Um, so I think this, if if you need any more indication that the uh, the net is wide, the net is wide. It is, and uh, Stan Bowman became the general manager on July 14th, 2009 oh, wow. for the Chicago Blackhawks, so he was there for all three Stanley Cups. But again, 
his track record from 2015 to 2021 is enough for me to say this guy doesn't know how to build around an aging core. Yes, he had that young core of of Keith and Taves and Kane, and he built around those guys well with role players like Shaw and Saad and, and you know Seabrook and Jalmerson. But once 2015 hit and these guys went over that corner, he was not able to to circle circle them with 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 good enough talent for them to be entertaining at all. Um, but that's Stan Bowman. The other name I wanted to mention really quickly, we don't have to get into it much because I know Hunter mentioned this name on Friday and it's been mentioned basically by everybody who's having a conversation about the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's Eric Tolsky of the Carolina Hurricanes. He's currently the AGM in Carolina, but what I didn't know and learned from listening to some other podcasts and some other shows and some other insiders is he's running the most of the hockey side of operations there because Don Waddell is focusing a lot on the business side. Uh, Rob Rossi was the first place I saw it, so I'll give him the credit first. But a lot of people have mentioned, listen, Tulski doesn't have the big chair in Carolina, but he certainly has a major hand in the on-ice product for the Carolina Hurricanes, a team in which, as we'll talk about a little bit later, is a serious contender for the Stanley Cup once again this season. So Eric Tulski is a name that Hunter said that's his first call. Rob had him in his story. I know both the guys on 32 Thoughts, the podcast, have mentioned him again. Countless other outlets have mentioned him as well. I would say he's probably the front runner at this point in my eyes. And that is, again, at a time where there are not very many official reports about anything. It seems like Eric Tulski is the name that is going to be in a lot of the headlines for any general manager job that's open. That's Calgary, that's Pittsburgh, and that's any other one that is available after this season. Yeah, <clears throat> Tulski will be mentioned a lot. Um, and for good reason. I didn't realize he was uh, pretty much... It makes sense. Don Waddell is a businessman. You know, he's the one signing the checks. So it makes a ton of sense that Tolski would be the one with the keys to the line of decisions and the uh, the the on-ice product, which, if if game one was any indication, is a good product, even whenever they're missing key pieces. Yeah. They had, I guess you could say, anti Ranch as their backup goalie in net. They're missing Sveshnikov for the entire playoffs. And they put up more offense than the New York Islanders, which I know doesn't say much, but... They weren't shut down by that team. And lest we forget, they were the top team in the Metro, second team in the NHL. Mm. So they had the Bruins had the year they were supposed to have. That would be the President's Trophy winner. Yeah. There you go. You don't need to know anything more about how good the Carolina Hurricanes are, uh, who aren't getting enough respect this postseason, but we'll discuss that later. Um, I, yeah. I think Tolski's an interesting name. And it's fun to know that he's the one building that team. And also, Brad, Brad Tree Living being fired throws a wrench into this. As much as you may or may not want it, he's going to be one of the top names just because he has the experience of the of a front office uh, in that sort of position. Whereas, like I said, we're picking from a lot of guys who have not had GM have not had specific general manager experience before. Yeah. Yeah, there. Like we said, no stone will be left unturned yeah. in this one, and that's good. FS, FSG, this is their first foray into the NHL, into hockey. They're going to look at every possible angle. That is the analytical angle that most people are expecting them to go. That is the hockey man TM angle that you know with Stan Bowman that he would certainly cover that little hemisphere there. Mm-hmm. You have the former GMs back in circulation with Brad Tree Living, so you know maybe Kyle Dubas. So you have a lot of 
areas in which to look for FSG, and we both expect them to look in many of those areas. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about the on-ice product for the Pittsburgh Penguins because the difference between Hextall Year 1 and Hextall Year 3 is vastly different in the roster. We'll talk about that after the break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. If you're checking us out on YouTube at Inside the Penguins, I hope you like our new setup here. We have a little bit of a different graphics package, a little off-season, got to get a little bit dark, a little bit emo like Horwat likes to go. <laughs> uh, but with the Pittsburgh Penguins out and the season ending, we rebranded a little bit. This is probably the last time because I'm tired of rebranding, but... <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, whether it be on YouTube or it be on our podcasting platforms in which the last 30 seconds have meant nothing to you. But hopefully the next 30 minutes will. Uh, the roster difference is something I wanted to talk about because when you look at Ron Hextall's job over the past three years, really two years, two and a half seasons, he's really broken this roster down, Horwat. Like it has gotten to a point where you look at the difference between the playoff roster against the New York Islanders in 2021, which was essentially Jim Rutherford's team plus Jeff Carter. That was really the only difference. It was good Jeff Carter at the time, too. And it was it was good Jeff yeah. Carter, but that was the only difference mm-hmm. once they got to the playoffs. And again, it takes an intelligent human being to see something working and not mess with it, I guess. That's what Ron Hextall did that season. That team won the East Division. This was the roster in the postseason. Gensel Crosby Rust. Mm-hmm. Zucker Rodriguez Kapanen, because Malkin missed the first two games of that series, if we all remember. Zucker Rodriguez Kapanen with Malkin coming in in game three. Freddie Gaudreau, Jeff Carter, good Jeff Carter, mm-hmm. Jared McCann, Zach Aston Reese, Teddy Bluger, Brandon Tanev. That was the forward core. <sighs> already, already. Much better. That's that's a Defense. great lineup, honestly. Yeah. Defense. Dumo Latang. Again, much better Brian Dumoulin two years than we saw this season. Mike Matheson, Cody Cece. Marcus Pedersen, John Marino is the third pairing. <laughs> and that was that second pairing. We didn't like it, but you know what it did? Got the job done. Because that was both because that was Matheson's first season here and Cece's solo season here, where we went, oh, they're working. Yeah, that's that's impressive too. It's it's kind of a hodgepodge on defense. Like I said, with Matheson's first year, kind of still being offensive offensive defenseman and CC doing CC things and being good. And those two names on the third pairing, I think they were kind of bad that year. It's a bit of a hodgepodge down there. Yeah, of course, Marcus Pedersen and John Marino have to this point gotten a lot better in their careers, as you would hope from from younger defensemen. 
but they were still a pretty serviceable third pairing. Yeah. I would say a better third pairing than we saw all of this season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But that was the lineup. And of course, Tristan Jari, Casey DeSmith, that hasn't changed over the entirety of Ron Hextall's tenure. But that was also a playoffs where Casey DeSmith was unavailable. And it was Maxime Lagasse as the backup goaltender in that series. But that was the roster back then. In just two years... This is what the roster has become. This is the roster from the final game of this season against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Gensel Crosby Rust, it same first line. Same broke. Zucker Malkin Raquel. All right, I'll give it to him. That's an improvement. Granlin Paling Nylander. Okay. Already <laughs> dropping downhill. O'Connor Carter Heinen. That bottom six is miles worse. Yeah. Miles worse. You would think, looking at the bottom six, obviously the top six is five of the six guys are remaining, and Ricard Raquel, I would say, is an upgrade over Kasperi Kapanen. Absolutely. If you looked at the bottom six in the defense of the team now, you would think that somebody was trying to rebuild this team. Yeah, it's because we've seen the decline of Jeff Carter to the point where he is on that fourth line. Nylander's an AHL call-up. He wouldn't be playing in this on this team had it not been for injuries, let's just be honest. Um, we know what Granlin brought to the table, and it's nothing. We like O'Connor, yeah, we like O'Connor, and we like Paling. We don't like Paling on the third line. At least I don't. Not yet. Mm. But Carter's out of necessity. That's the only reason. Yeah, he was but there. Carter's our other option. So it kind of just makes that bottom six a nightmare. Yeah, it's woo. It is a it is a far cry from uh, Bluger, Aston, Reese, and Tanev. You could say that. It is, yeah, severely, because Bluger, Aston, Reese, and Tanev, there were times where we had said that's the best fourth line in hockey, and, and not a lot of people would argue at that point. Yeah, as I said, we didn't even discuss those three in that, uh, whenever we went over that lineup, just, it, that's, that line was so fun and important, really, in that playoff run. It was important, fell apart, but damn. The defense, of course, in the final day of the regular season this year, Dumo Latang remained, but Dumo has severely dropped off a cliff. Uh, still has something left as an NHL defenseman. I think he's going to play somewhere. I don't know if it's going to be in Pittsburgh. Uh, Pedersen Petrie is the second pairing. Marcus Pedersen far and away much better than he was two years ago, but that's just personal growth. Um, Jeff Petrie fell short of expectations, and I would say Jeff Petrie provided less than Mike Matheson did back in that season in 2021. And certainly a little bit more, I would say, than Cody Ceci. They're different defensemen. But I would say the drop-off is not severe from what Jeff Petrie brought than what Cody Ceci brought two years ago. And then your third pairing is P.O. Joseph and Dmitry Kulikov. Lest we forget the defenseman not playing that played a lot of time this year, Jan Ruda and Chad Ruedel and Mark Friedman and, and, and. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a nightmare. That's a nightmare. He butchered this. Yeah, that's... That's really, at the end of the day, you look at those two side by side and it's a stark reminder that, you know, let's let's remind everybody his job was not to rebuild the Pittsburgh Penguins because he didn't rebuild anything. The Penguins have nothing in the cabinet still. Like, they're no better off in the prospect system than they were two years ago. The only thing that they have extra is Owen Pickering. Like, that is it. Like, I get two years is hard to restock a cabinet, but one name in two years and the roster at the NHL level being that much worse... That's not good. That That is obviously a reason that the guy is out of a job. But the question then becomes, 
is it to the point, it took him two years to make the roster that bad. Is it to the point where this team, no matter who comes in, no matter what moves are made this offseason, is so far gone to the point where they're not going to be that much better next season, regardless of what happens in the offseason? Um, no, I don't think. I think whoever comes in can fix this team the proper way. It's going to take a lot of letting UFAs walk, you know, uh, Heinen, Archibald, Dumoulin, Kulikov come to mind right away. It's going to be a letting a lot of those guys walk, so you have some walking around money to spend and make and make uh, acquisitions. It's not going to be easy. The Tristan Jari decision is going to be even harder. No matter what, um, the new GM is not stepping into an easy role because it's going to be no. the same game plan. Build a team that can win now, and if possible, build a future. Right? You want to have a team, especially because this this ownership group is still new. They want to have a winning team. They don't want to be three years into their tenure and all of us... How many are they in now? One? Two? They don't want to be three, four, or five years down the line and all of a sudden be, oh... Oh, we suck. Oh, this is not a good team. They don't want to do that. They want to see their success pay off now and in the long run. Just because it's not financially beneficial to have a bad team, right? So, it's going to be an impossible task no matter what. No matter who it is. If you can get early success, it's probably better than losing now and then figuring out a way to win with a new team uh, regardless i think fenway's got an impossible task on their hands new ownership has an impossible ta- or new management has an impossible task on theirs but it can be something i think this team is still good i think a few of the right moves can be extremely beneficial gotta figure out that goaltending yeah and that might be your next question Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that in just a few seconds. But I mean, on this roster, we talked about what it looked like in that second to last game against Chicago. We talked about what this team looked like in that last game against Columbus, and they still almost made the playoffs. Yeah. So even a marginal upgrade in talent is going to probably push this team back into the playoff picture. Now I understand. Eastern Conference is going to be tough next year. It was tough this year. It's going to be tougher next year because Buffalo is going to take another step. Ottawa is going to take another step. You have to believe Washington's going to reload. These teams are getting better, and there's not many teams above us in the standings that are going to get that much worse, right? Obviously, Boston's going to take a step back. Everybody's going to take a step back every once in a while. But the Eastern Conference is really leveling out. Do I think that this could become a Stanley Cup roster over the summer, I highly doubt it. It's going to take, you know, not to say that they won't win the Stanley Cup, but going into next season, they're not going to have a roster that anybody is going to say is a Stanley Cup-capable roster because there is so much work to be done, as we'll talk about in a second. I just am not sure it how, if it took two years to get it to this point, how they're going to be able to turn it around in just one year. It's going to be a tough task. And again, they might be able to do it, We don't know who's in the chair, let alone what their plan is and what they're going to be capable of doing over the next six months. This could be a completely different conversation two months from now at the NHL draft. Mm -hmm. But as of right now, it's hard to see the forest through the trees when looking at this team and trying to see a team that could be molded into a Stanley Cup contender in six months. Yeah. And am I the only one that thinks this first round pick just 
became so important. There's so Making many. Making it or trading it. it? Exactly. Just possessing it at this very moment has become so important for whoever steps into the chair. You can keep it and hold on to it. You can pick 14. You have a 1.5% chance to pick fourth. <laughs> hey, you never yeah. know. You could tr- you could trade it for something. Hey, now you have added someone who was worth the first round pick. Don't know who that could be. Maybe there's a few other picks involved. Maybe there's a prospect involved. You don't know who you're getting in. Or you could strap it to someone and get more cap space. Mm. There's all kinds of things that can be done with just one singular first round pick that Ron was too stubborn to move. Mm. So, I just think the, the first round pick has become ultra important for the next couple of months especially may 8th especially may 8th yeah we'll we'll obviously discuss it as time goes on we have plenty of time before the nhl draft plenty of time about two weeks before the nhl lottery which is what you're referencing with may 8th of course but it it is going to be a tough tough task for whoever steps in the chair let's talk about the priorities for whoever steps in the chair right now because when you look at the pittsburgh penguins they have plenty of holes to fill over the, the offseason. Horwat, I'm going to ask you, and you have the four options below on the graphic, and for those who aren't aren't watching us on YouTube, it's goaltending, depth center, depth winger, defense. Those are the four areas that we're going to rank. Mm-hmm. Do me a favor, rank one through four the priorities for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the offseason. Priorities. i got to go goalies first. Um, it can't let you down again. It can't, and let's be real, it did this year. It let you down in that lineup you just read against the Islanders. It let us down uh, last season against the Rangers. And it let us down most of this season and not even making the playoffs. It's... could Is some of it because of injury? Yes. You know what else is a problem? Injuries. You have to stay healthy to be a good goalie. That's got to be the top priority here. And if it is re... Reiterating the commitment to Tristan Jari, that's your top priority regardless. I think that's number one, because you can rebuild forward cores, you can rebuild defensive cores. My number two has to be defense, but not necessarily in rebuilding it, per se, but uh, putting the right guys in the right positions and letting the certain guys walk in Dumoulin and Kulikov, getting Ty Smith into this lineup at a regular pace is for starters. This team needs to get younger, and he's young. He's good. He can do this. Put him into this lineup. I don't care where, <laughs> just somewhere on an on an NHL roster. Maybe uh, a new GM wants to trade, find a way to trade. Jeff Petrie, best of luck. Or wants to find a way to trade Jan Ruda after he just got here. Keep P.O. Joseph in the lineup as well. It, it needs retooling. So I think that's kind of where... Uh, the defense comes in for <clears throat> me at number two. Also, if you ask me this question again next week, I could have totally different answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number three, honestly, just <clears throat> I, I know you have it separated between depth forwards and or, uh, wingers and centers. It's about the same. It's all the same to me. I'd say just rehashing that depth forward group as much as you can, but infusing the youth, getting some of these prospects in there, getting... Hollander another look, getting Poost in some time, keeping Drew O'Connor in an NHL role. Maybe Sam Poulin, <clears throat> after a little while, gets another call-up, gets another chance. <clears throat> Maybe Alex Nylander's earned a spot as a depth role. 
Go younger. We can't keep these old guys around. We know Ryan Paling is going to come back. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm just very interested in uh, retooling a lot of things and getting younger. You can't have the oldest team in the league again. No, no, that is for sure. I think we've talked about it before. Faster and younger should have always been the priority in Mike Sullivan's system because that's how Mike Sullivan's system works. They haven't been that for a couple years, and whoever is the new general manager will hopefully understand that to play Mike Sullivan's system, you need to have young guys, fast guys, and and players that can play and finish on the offensive side of the puck. But I agree with you when it comes to the top priority. Yeah. The Penguins' top priority is goaltending. And for the, all the reasons you said, especially the fact that the last three seasons, it's been a primary reason, one of the primary reasons, I should say, as to why they failed to reach the playoffs or get far in the playoffs. Now, this is an issue we said all season long should have been addressed last offseason. So, of course, if it should have been addressed last offseason, it should be addressed this offseason as well. Like, it's as simple as that. And all these questions revolve around Tristan Jari. Yep. What is he going to ask for? What does he think he's entitled to as a starting goaltender in the National Hockey League? Is he a starting goaltender in the National Hockey League? That question has to be asked this summer as well. I personally feel that the best way for the Pittsburgh Penguins to build at that position right now is through a tandem. You see most of the NHL moving to that situation, that decision, because there's not a whole lot of true number one goaltenders remaining in the National Hockey League. We grew up in an era where it was, you have a number one goaltender and you have a backup. If you have a tandem, then you don't have one good goaltender. That's what we grew up on. That is changing around the entire league. There's only a handful of true number one stud goaltenders. I mean, the, the, the Russians, Ilya Sorokin, Igor Shosturkin, Andre Vasilevsky. Those are the guys that are true number ones. Like UC Soros is in that conversation too. Jake Ottinger yep. is in that conversation. Flip. But you have about six or seven guys and 32 teams. Every other team is going with a tandem right now. Look at what Toronto did. First, they said, you know what? Freddie Anderson's out. Jack Campbell's our guy. And then last offseason, they realized, well, Jack Campbell didn't work out. We need to bring in two guys. So they brought in Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. And Samsonov has been very good this season. Matt Murray's been injured. But he's been decent when he's been in. Same thing goes with the defending Stanley Cup champions. Alexander Georgiev was brought in because they lost Darcy Kemper. They also have Pavel Francouz, who was a major part of last season's playoff run and a major part of this team. So I think they really need to lean towards a tandem because not only are there not very many true number ones in the National Hockey League anymore, there's really not any available in the free agent market. I will say there's a pretty decent crop of 1Bs, though. There's... You'd have to go out there and find your 1A. Maybe it's Tristan Jari next year. Maybe it's somebody else. But there's a decent crop of 1Bs. Guys that I highlighted, Semyon Varlamov, Laurent Brossois, Aiden Hill, and Jonas Corposalo. There's also... A good couple. It's not it's not a lot. <clears throat> There's a good couple of goalies who might be on the block. Might be getting traded. Do you want me to name names? I have a couple of ideas. I know we just dis discussed one uh, way early in the season, uh, playing in a college arena as we speak, um, Krovo Melko, who could be getting dealt out of Arizona. There's also a local boy 
playing for a duck team, <laughs> that, that the Anaheim Ducks are fully willing to uh, give him his dues and put him on a winning team. There you go. I'll leave it at that for those two for now. But there are some names out there that could be getting dealt, could be, you know, trying to find winning organizations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sure, the Penguins don't look like a winning organization right now, but if goaltending is the top priority and you are a good goalie, you're going to help us become that winning organization again because that's Mm -hmm. how close we were. Similar to the general manager's search, the search for goaltending for next season needs to leave no stone unturned. That's the trade market. That is Mm -hmm. free agency. That is potentially offer sheeting somebody like Jeremy Swayman, who I will be, I will be knocking on the table and pounding the table for until he re-signs with the Boston Bruins. Um, But there's, there's plenty of, plenty of spaces that you could look at if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins to hopefully restructure this goaltending situation because it has failed you for three straight seasons. So yeah, that's their top priority. I put depth center at number two because it's simple. You cannot enter 2022-23 with Jeff Carter, Mikhail Granlund, and Ryan Paling as your only depth center options. You just cannot. We've said that Ron Hextall several times practiced organizational malpractice. If you go into whoever it is, if you go into next season with those three as your primary depth centers, you've already lost me. They need to find better depth center options. Ryan Paling is a fine fourth line center. Those other two guys should probably be looked at to be traded. Now, I know that neither of them will probably likely be traded. It's very unlikely. I would love to be wrong on that. And I also know that Sam Poulan might have a chance to break camp with the team next year. Mm-hmm. But that's not enough of a plan to say, hey, maybe Sam Poulan's going to be good enough and he can supplant one of these guys. That's not a good plan. Because he could. I believe in Sam Poulin. I think that he'll eventually be an everyday NHL player. Depth guy. Maybe a, maybe even a top six winger. But that is, he has to, you know, top of his expectations right there. But when it comes to depth center, the Penguins have a pretty dry cabinet. Uh, They're going to need to go out and find that on the free agent market or find it in a trade. Then I put depth winger because we talked about the bottom six. It's bad. Then I put defense because if they stay healthy and they have better goaltending behind them, you can get by with the defense the Pittsburgh Penguins have. Now, I'll talk about it all offseason. Jeff Petrie... I would love for them to find a way out of that contract. Probably a trade. Unlikely that it'll be a buyout. But I'd love for them to find a way out of that contract and give Jan Ruda an opportunity to be the number two defenseman on the right side. Mm. That's an interesting one. Brian Dumlin falls off. Yeah. Dmitry Kulikov falls off. You're going to have to add somebody on the left side regardless. Maybe Pedersen can start the season at the top pair there. He obviously had a great year this year. But I do think the defense is going to need reworked. I just think that when you look at how bad the bottom six was and how bad the goaltending was, especially at center for the bottom six, those are higher priorities on the list for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, you're probably right. It's just hard to do anything with that bottom with that bottom six whenever... You're right. We can't enter the season with those three players, Granlund, Paling, and Carter, as our center options. Where are we going to? Where's Carter going to go? Yeah. Who, who, who's going to take Carter? Granlin's the guy you'd have to strap with the first two, and best of luck. 
And Paley, we like Paley. We do. He's the fourth-line center. We like that. But it's the third-line center that we have to worry about now. I'll ask you this, and then we'll move over and take a break and go to our next conversation, which is Stanley Cup predictions, so stay tuned if, you, if you're ready for that because the playoffs have already gotten off to a red-hot start. Two overtime games, one double overtime game. Stanley Cup playoffs are, are phenomenal. But I will ask you this. If somebody offered the Pittsburgh Penguins... I'll take Mikhail Granlund and a third for a seventh round pick, and you retain two and a half million dollars of that contract for two years. Would you take it? You know, probably because uh, here's the deal we already have a lot of money coming off the books, a pretty good amount. Um, it would be an extra 2.5. For two years. For two seasons. Um, we're going to be gaining a good, milli- a good million uh, in terms of the Jack Johnson buyout. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably would just for the sake of he can't be on this team. I would pay to not have him on this team is pretty much what that is saying. Um, I think so. I absolutely think so. Yeah, just because we're going to gain a lot of cap space for one, why not an extra 2.5? Even if you hold on to it, it's better than having him on the team at five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my answer to that, in a heartbeat. Yeah. In a heartbeat. I don't even let that man off the phone before I'm already dialing central registry on the other phone to try to put that trade through. Yeah. Now, will that be offered to the Pittsburgh Penguins? Unlikely. (laughs) Unlikely. But if you can get Mikhail Granlin half of his contract off, that is plenty mm-hmm. because you can replace him and that $2.5 million with a pretty good bottom six forward if you're smart. That might be Ryan Paling's new deal. I don't think Ryan Paling is going to make 2.5. No? Okay. I, I personally, I mean, obviously that's a conversation we can have, but I don't think he's he's worth $2.5 million. Depends how many years year. we want to get him for, I guess. Well, that's that's true as well. One year, I don't even one year. A one year deal, I don't see him making more than two million dollars. That's cl- that's close enough to the Ryan Paling deal, then. But yes, still, it's you're gaining money when you drop uh, Mikhail Granlund any way possible. Yes, exactly. But that is is obviously the priorities. Both of us. There's a reason both of us said goalie at number one. You think defense is number two. I think depth center is number two. But at the end of the day, a lot of these areas need addressed. None of them can just be let alone. That's Yeah, that's the other thing, too. You could put this in any order, and I'd agree with you. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. When we return, our Stanley Cup predictions, because the playoffs are here. Despite the Penguins not playing in them, they're still going to be vastly entertaining. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, And we're going to give our Stanley Cup predictions to close out this show. Let's start with the most exciting round one matchup, Horwat. Which matchup to you is must watch in the first round? Having already seen one game from it, uh, I'm going to have to go with Edmonton, Los Angeles. First of all, we're going to be feuding over it the entire the entire two weeks. Secondly, um, you're watching Connor McDavid in the playoffs. Every time he touched the puck in that game, in game one, uh, John Bougiergrass on the call just gave it, here comes Connor. And he was right most of the time because Connor was making magic. I don't think he had a point, though. But he... Uh, Every time he touched the puck and was in the zone, the entire crowd was already standing. Like, they knew what was going to happen. He's going to be electric to watch for seven games. Uh, Beyond that, I'm really interested to see what Seattle can do, honestly. I see how many former Penguins can just break all of our hearts. (laughs) Um, And I have not yet seen what Toronto-Tampa Bay looks like to give that answer. Boston and Florida could be interesting, but it's mostly entertaining for the battle between uh, Kachuk and Marchand. Not much else. And the Islanders love slowing the game down, so I'm going to have to stick with Edmonton, Los Angeles. Yeah, Edmonton is always going to be entertaining when it's Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, especially how those two like to perform in the postseason, how they did last postseason was absolutely ridiculous. If you remember, both Draisaitl and McDavid were unstoppable on en route to the Western Conference Finals before they fell to the Colorado Avalanche, who were just a juggernaut last year. Yes, I had the Edmonton Oilers in four. I, I wanted to pick one sweep, and that's the one that I believed. Yes, your Kings won game one, but I will say... As you mentioned, Connor McDavid didn't score a point. You really think that's going to continue to happen? I don't. I personally don't. And two, the Kings won game one last year, and the Edmonton Oilers still went on to the second round. So I'm confident in my Oilers. And yes, it's probably going to be something that we're going to end up bringing up on every episode because it's the one that we are most vastly different when we're looking at it. My most exciting matchup to watch is going to be the New York Rangers and the New Jersey Devils. Mm -hmm. That is going to be... An entertaining series from puck drop to final whistle. The Devils fan base is hyped for this matchup, as they should be. It feels like the New Jersey Devils are always, I mean, I can't speak for them, but it feels like they always are looked at as little brother because they're not New York, they're not that market, they're New York adjacent. It feels like that's how almost every New Jersey fan feels and certainly some of the New Jersey Devils players feel so this matchup basically a subway series the skill on both sides of the ice is unbelievable tonight we get game one I'm really excited to see the New York Rangers and the New Jersey Devils Devils first time in the playoffs since I believe 2019 with that Taylor Hall team that got one win much better team this time around and the New York Rangers obviously speak for themselves they went the whole way to the Eastern Conference Finals last year and they play such an exciting brand of hockey both teams do that this is going to be an electric factory and I hope it goes seven games it could absolutely could I didn't bring them up because again I haven't seen them yet because once the playoffs start it's kind of a different ball game you never know what teams are going to change or do Uh, I like Mm -hmm. that I like that matchup too though especially considering it is this newfangled Devils team that we don't really know what to expect and the Rangers team that shouldn't have won last year. 
So it'll be fun. Yeah, you still gr- hold on to that grudge, uh, which most Pittsburgh Aren't Penguins we all? fans are. Most Pittsburgh Penguins fans are. Uh, but we move on to ask, what is the biggest round one surprise that you could predict right now? Right now off the top, part of it might be um, the Devils winning. Mm. Just because, like I said, the Rangers didn't deserve it last year. Uh, they're coming in <laughs> like a house of fire. Mm-hmm. And I could absolutely see them pulling one out against the Rangers. Just for the fun of it, watching New York fans burn on Twitter it would be <laughs> even sweeter. So I'm going to go with that one. Uh, I think it would be interesting to see Seattle pull one out, but I just don't see that happening. And yeah, they got a rough draw there. Yeah. As fun as the team that they've been, and the depth scoring is unreal. They got 20, 20 goals from a fourth liner, Daniel Sprong. It's... That that would be a ton of fun. I just don't see it. I just don't see them pulling it out in seven. I could see that series going six to seven though. It's Colorado. I think I had Abs in five. I have them in six, but yeah, I can see it going six. I to don't. Seven. I don't think the Kraken go without their first playoff win in franchise history. I'll say that for but sure. But I, yeah, I think they win game three, their first home playoff game in franchise history. I think they take that one. Uh, but the the defending champs, even without Gabe Landeskog, the defending champs are are clicking on all cylinders entering the postseason. I mean, Nathan McKinnon scored a hat-trick in the last game of the regular season to clinch the Central Division. So that tells you all you need to know about where the Avs are at right now. The Leafs, in my opinion, this is my biggest one round, round one surprise. The Leafs will dominate the pace of play and win their first playoff series since 2004. I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I think it's going to be Leafs in six because I have respect for the Lightning, <laughs> and I think that they still have the playoff pedigree to pull out two games. It's never easy. Like, do you really think the Leafs are going to easily win any series? No, they're never going to win series easily. But I think they end that streak, and simultaneously they end the reign of the Tampa Bay Lightning as king of the Eastern Conference three years running right now. But I think the Leafs, when you watch these games, they're going to dominate the pace of play. They're going to dominate the possession. And when you look at the Corsi numbers and the expected goals numbers, I think it's going to be over 60% in every game leaning towards the Maple Leafs. So I could absolutely see that happening too. I wouldn't mind seeing the Leafs finally break through, um, ending the dominance of Tampa Bay, making their own history finally. But man, you know what? For For the memes, for the lols, and for Kyle Dubas to hit the open market, I took the uh, Lightning at seven. Yeah. <laughs> just just for the heartbreak of one last seven-game series, no less. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, 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 genuinely, I genuinely am going to be rooting for the Leafs, uh, but I just think it'd be hilarious. Uh, Is it six years in a row that the Leafs have lost in the first round? I think it's soft- either five or six. 2017. 18, Quick math. This is great radio. Yeah, this would be six years or seven years yeah. straight. <laughs> Austin Matthews rookie year, they made the playoffs. Lost in six to the to the Capitals, and we all thought, all right, that's a team on the rise. Uh, still haven't gotten past the first round. But I predict they do it this year. I predict they do it this year. Let's do our final predictions because the Stanley Cup final is the ultimate just game changer when it comes to people's legacies. And I think it's going to be a game changer for someone's legacy in 2023. It's going to be a massive, massive moment when this player wins the Stanley Cup. But I'll let you go first and use that as a nice tease to the 58th minute of this show, basically. It is what it is. So I had (laughs) 
one more uh, surprise from the first round that I didn't mention. Because I have Carolina and L.A. in my finals. Now, it's not because I'm a fan of the Los Angeles Kings, which I am. But, genuinely, if they can beat out the Edmonton Oilers, that's that's one of those situations where, oh, you just got hot and hit your roll. Right? You beat out the team that many people had favorites. It's like any time the Penguins and the Capitals played each other. Alright, that team's going on the entire way. There's no stopping them. They've beaten the Lion, if you will. Um, do I have the Kings winning? No. We got Carolina winning. Because I know they're injured to hell and back. They, their goalie situation is interesting. But I just think it's finally their time. Something You could make an argument for a lot of these teams. You really could. Mm-hmm. Many, Most of them, really. You can make an argument for them running the gauntlet. And that's exactly why... LA versus Carolina can also make sense. It's anyone's year. It is anyone's year. There's no real standout here. Boston, maybe, but at the same time, there's a lot of people that say Boston, they did all that in the regular season. They're going to fall off. And they genuinely mean that. So, this could be a ton of fun. This is going to be a fun couple of months. Can LA win it? No, I don't think so. I'd like to see it. But I got LA Carolina final. You mentioned the Boston Bruins. It is very hard to go wire to wire in anything, yeah. any sport, whether that be an NHL season, which they've been the best team since day one in the National Hockey League. They've been the number one team in the league the entire year. So it's hard to go through that the entire regular season and then do it the entire postseason long. Obviously, they're off to a good start. They're up one to nothing on the Florida Panthers. Alex Lyon looked pretty good in that game, actually, except for the goal he gave up against Marshawn. But I understand that. I do think they win a series. They've already done better than the the Tampa Bay Lightning of 2018-19 because they won a game. But I don't have them in the Stanley Cup final. You have the LA Kings. I have the Edmonton Oilers. Let's go. Edmonton Oilers come out of the West. I think anybody could come out of the West this year because yeah. I, I think both sides are very even when it comes to the conference. I do think the Eastern Conference has a lot more monsters than the Western Conference does. But the Edmonton Oilers, if Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl are all in their game, they're a monster. So I think that the Edmonton Oilers can can make the run through the Western Conference. And I have the New York Rangers in the East. I think it is the Wayne Gretzky Stanley Cup, the Oilers and the Rangers. And I have Connor McDavid for the first time in his career lifting Lord Stanley's Cup. The Edmonton Oilers will be your 2023 Stanley Cup champions. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't totally hate it either. I well, okay, I hate the Oilers winning, but <laughs> the Rangers though. I it, it's hard in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, it's tough. I think iron sharpens iron. The Rangers have the toughest first round matchup in the Eastern Conference, and I think it ends up being Rangers Leafs in the East Finals. And I just like the Rangers at that point. Goaltending at that point gets it done for the Rangers. That's why I have them as the Eastern Conference champs. Well, well, well. Our, so we pretty much have the exact opposite when it comes to <laughs> comes to brackets here. So everything that I'm hearing, you're just saying the exact opposite. But <laughs> um, oh, this is gonna be a fun two months. Just because, like, you said, anyone can come out of the West. You can make a case for any of these teams in the West. That goes for Seattle as well. Because I would say, except Winnipeg. But I've seen a lot of people think Winnipeg is gonna beat Vegas. Connor Hellebuck, man. Yeah. Uh, Goaltending changes a lot of things in the, in the playoffs. Yeah, and who know, and because is Vegas still rolling with Jonathan Quick? Who knows what he genuinely has left? 
I think Laurent Brassois will be the starting goaltender for game one. Forgot about him too. Um, and who knows? Minnesota's up one nothing already. I mean, not that you know being up one nothing means anything, but Minnesota's up one nothing over Dallas, who I have going to the conference finals. So, yeah. oh, it's going to be a fun couple of months, guys. Honestly, it watching is. stress-free hockey might be nice for a little bit. <laughs> Still would prefer to be covering a team right now, not a GM search like we did for the first 15 minutes of the show. For sure. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will see you guys next time. 